It's been about two months since the FDA approved two new gene therapies for sickle cell. The treatment could be a cure for more than 1,500 Minnesotans with sickle cell disease and millions of people worldwide. The genetic blood condition causes horrible pain and can lead to deadly health complications like stroke. People of African descent are more likely to have the gene, and the new treatments could address an urgent health equity problem. But with a price tag of millions of dollars, it's it's unclear how or when they'll reach people who need them. So joining me to explain is Ray Blaylark, a president and CEO of the Sickle Cell Foundation of Minnesota, and Dr. Roy Cow, an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Minnesota who specializes in gene therapy for sickle cell. Thank you both for making time for us this afternoon. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Ray, I'd like to start with you. I know you have your own uh, family history around this, and you really saw a need and, and uh, created the Sickle Cell Foundation of Minnesota. What is the reaction that you've been hearing from patients about this treatment? Well, it's a mixed reaction. You know, it's, a, it's certainly an excitement um, because it, this disease was identified more than 100 years ago, and there are mm. very limited treatment options. So, you know, something like this, is 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 really the the idea that we could transform the lives of individuals whose lives have been impacted by this genetic blood disorder. Absolutely, and and then uh, you know on the flip side, there, what have you heard from insurance providers? Yeah, the concern, you know, that, you know, we can build it, but how will they get there? Um, I'm hearing that from all sides. I'm hearing that from both the, the pharmaceutical industry as well as the community and, in fact, the clinical spaces as well. So communities and individuals in those communities who are impacted by sickle cell disease who are interested in seeking out a curative therapy are very concerned because many understand, you know, the challenges that come with insurance and the hoops that you have to to jump through. Mm. So the the concern is it's here. How do we get to it? How do we ensure that there's affordability, that there's a pathway to making what was once a dream now a reality? And doctor, you're involved in the trials for these treatments. Uh, how, how effective are they and why are they so expensive? Yeah, I think in order to answer that second question, you have to go back and understand um, how sickle cell disease really, and just going off of what, I'm, I'm super happy that Ray is here, but going off of what Ray was saying, you know, this is a genetic disease that mm-hmm. can, it, that contributes to a lifetime of suffering for these patients um, with sickle cell disease. It, it It's the estimated medical cost for a lifetime for these patients is about a, a 1.6 to one, like $2.0 million. Wow. Um, and so if we can, if we can improve the lives of these patients, we could potentially not just save that money, but allow for these patients to um, to live fuller and healthier and more productive lives. So, you know, that that one point five to two million dollars, it doesn't include um, all the time that they're missing from work. Um, it doesn't include lost productivity. It doesn't include lost time with family. It doesn't mm. include uh, lost time feeling like a normal person. So I think that's the important context to know yeah. um, what makes this really transformative. Uh, and potentially curative for people is that in the clinical trials uh, of which we were um, a participating site, um, it was shown to decrease um, these uh, episodes, these attacks, um, vasoclusive episodes uh, in about 95% of patients. Wow. You know, that's, that's, um, that's certainly transformative. It's certainly so much better 
than anything else we have right now. Um, so, you know, this is an exciting time for us, but it's, you know, it, just, like, just like Ray is saying, you know, this is tempered um, by um, the big question of how we're all going to get this paid for. Yeah. And what does it maybe typically take for the cost of a drug to, to go down or what would it take? Oh, that's a great question that I have no uh, <laughs> no no qualifications well, to answer. What do you think, Ray? You know, from my understanding, you know, bringing a drug to market is a quite expensive process. The mm-hmm. research that goes into it, you know, requires a, a lot of dollars on the front end. It requires dollars that are invested into, um, you know, the pathway to get the end results. Um, there's a number of steps. So we recognize that it, is, it takes millions and millions of dollars to bring a, a, a drug to market, let alone a cellular therapy that is um, fundamentally, you know, very new from a scientific perspective or or newer uh, in the medical space. So the the cost is is really about making sure that it's done well. It's making sure that it's done in environments that um, are conducive to the needs of the patient that have uh, expert physicians and specialists that are able to care for the patient, not just during that process, but even after that uh, the, the therapy has been administered. Um, what are the needs that happen both in the hospital as well as outside of the hospital? Going back and forth to a hospital during a treatment like this can be quite cumbersome, but it also takes up the time, the energy, and the space of, of institutions as well as uh, families. So when we look at a, a, a new therapy that has hit the market, and certainly, again, something like cellular therapy, we're talking about a revolutionary medicine. The cost of revolutionary medicine is not cheap. Mm-hmm. However, the cost of caring for a condition like sickle cell disease, as you heard from Dr. Cow, mm-hmm. is not cheap either. So we have to place the importance and the priority upon human lives and how do we improve their lives? How do we change the trajectory of their quality of life by investing in this in this um, medical phenomena? And I just hear it in your voice, Ray, that you've been such a trailblazer, too, in trying to make sure that people do get the, the therapies that they need. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, without these therapies, what treatment for sickle cell typically looks like? And if you wanted to share, you know, what it was like for you and your son and, and kind of what brought you to this point? Yes, I'm glad that you brought that up. I have a 27-year-old son that lives with sickle cell disease, Mm -hmm. and he started um, his complications of sickle cell disease at four months old. That was how old he was when when I first watched it fentanyl drip into his veins. That was devastating for me. That was Mm. the beginning of um, a new normal that I never expected. So watching him go in and out of the hospital, watching him miss exorbitant amounts of of school and academics, watching him lose jobs Mm. as a teenager and even now as an adult, you know, having to defend, um, you know, what his body is going through and his need for medical attention in order to keep his job. Um, this is change. This is quite the change. Uh, prior to you know options like this, all that you had was a medication that was um, not created for us, though they found it to be able to be used with us called hydroxyurea. Mm. It was originally 
um, meant for leukemia. It was originally meant as for another condition. However, um, using it in sickle cell disease, has it's a chemotherapy, so it requires monitoring. It requires going to the clinic and the hospital consistently um, throughout the entire time that you're on it. Um, but it's not for everyone. It's not a one-time fix-all. Mm. It's not um, accessible by everyone. It's not tolerated by everyone. So that's just one. But the other really big issue is that we are in the midst of an opioid overdose crisis. For those who are in the pain community, not just sickle cell disease, but definitely those individuals who are suffering from sickle cell disease, being able to get your pain treated has become much, much, much more difficult. Mm. And the ability to um, be, be treated both respectfully but also believed in the intensity of the pain mm-hmm. has made it very difficult and has actually um, created even more complications for individuals living with this disease. And right. when there's more complications, now you have increased mortality, and that's what we don't want to see. Absolutely. The American Society of Hematology says sickle cell is the most common genetic blood disorder and black people are more likely to carry the gene. And, you know, you spoke about it a little bit there, Ray, of how racial bias has affected the treatment. Uh, Dr. Kao, is the you doing anything to make sure doctors and doctors in training don't perpetuate this bias? Yeah, certainly. I think um, what we're really doing here at the University of Minnesota um, with Dr. Boucher, Dr. Ashish Gupta, and, and many others, especially working with Ray Blaylark, um, is to help educate the next generation of healthcare personnel about sickle cell disease and how this is a horrible disease that um, uh, we, not just the pathophysiology for which we have a long track record of research here, um, but also the clinical care and also the, the fundamental impact of race on the patient experience, um, inside and outside the healthcare setting. So these are the things that we wanna um, help new doctors, new nurses, um, new healthcare providers understand. And Mm -hmm. in addition to this, it's really working together with all the blood specialists around the state and in a few extra uh, states as well to really build that that capacity and help educate that um, our, our community. And Ray, I'd like to uh, leave the last word with you here of just anything else that you think is just um, incredibly needed right now to kind of get sickle cell treatment to where it needs to be. What would you what would your message be? You know, I think that it's interesting that sickle cell disease was the um, first molecular disease identified uh, in the medical records here in the U.S. And here we are at a crossroads. We have an opportunity to now um, sickle cell disease being one of the very first um, conditions that molecular conditions that can be addressed through cellular therapy like gene therapy. This is monumental. This is an opportunity to change the trajectory of Mm -hmm. not just a person's life, but a community's life. To have one in 13 individuals identified with sickle cell trait, that means that when you are in your own community, being able to um, uh, to, fam- to have family planning, being able to determine who are uh, individuals who you could um, have children with and build a family with has been challenging. Mm-hmm. And so we want to change this. It is the most uh, common genetic blood disorder in the entire world. Here in Minnesota, we have an opportunity to change the tra- trajectory for Minnesotans who are impacted by this disease. So whether you're a patient, whether you're a caregiver like myself, whether you are a family member, whether you're a neighbor, or whether you are a medical 
individual provider. Mm-hmm. We all play a role in in making sure that we have access to medicines that are transformative in nature and Oh, I think I lost you there, Ray. Uh, But thank you both so much. Uh, We'll leave it there, and we do appreciate your time. Ray Blaylark, President and CEO of the Sickle Cell Foundation of Minnesota, and Dr. Roy Cow, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Minnesota. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.